Hello, everyone. Welcome to the happiest pot on earth. I'm Steph. And I'm Ariel. And we're Disney fans, but really, we're so much more. I'm an educator who uses passions and fandoms to help my students grow and learn about themselves and the world around them. I'm a licensed therapist who uses clients' passions and fandoms to help them grow and heal from trauma and mental unwellness. And Happiest Pod, well, it's a place where we dissect Disney mediums with what? A critical lens. Why do we do that? Because just like we are more than just fans, we expect more from the mediums we consume. So, Steph, what Disney experience are we dissecting today? Well, we are coming up on the end of January, which means February is just around the corner. And for many of us, especially in the AAPI community, we are celebrating Lunar New Year, which is like New Year Part (laughs) 2. Okay, okay. Yes, and so for our audience members who may not be fully aware, um, Lunar New Year, also known as Chinese New Year, is a festival that celebrates the beginning of the new year on the traditional lunar solar Chinese calendar. Um, And of course, contrary to popular belief, uh, it is not just a festival that's celebrated in China. Lunar New Year is actually a a festival that is celebrated in um, a lot of East and Southeast Asian countries. This year, uh, starting February 1st is when when the the New Year is, um, is the Year of the Tiger. Yep. Um, The the Lunar New Year is um, something that many AAPI um, community members we celebrate, especially if you are from China, Vietnam or Korea or have, you know, descent in any of those countries. And Disney decides to celebrate that at the parks, which is really awesome. Um, In the past couple of years at the Disney California Adventure Park, they turn the walkway from uh, the main park all the way up to Pixar Pier into a beautiful Lunar New Year festival where they have food, much like the night markets and markets in Asia. And also they bring out Mulan and many of the characters that identify as um, Asian American or Pacific Islander. And they decide to highlight them in such an awesome way. Yes. And um, from my understanding, you did go to the festival? I did. This is my second year going. Um, I just went. And um, they really... They really upped the amplification on API representation. It was awesome. So because you went, this is your second time, you're able to compare the first to the last. But when you went the first time, was that also the first time they did it? From my understanding, yes, I may be wrong. This is the first me and my friend who I would go to the parks with um, uh, whenever there was a food festival. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. That was the first time we ever went. It was the first time I knew about it. They might have done it maybe in Epcot or other Disney parks, especially in Shanghai or Hong Kong. Um, But I know that they introduced the Lunar New Year Festival as a food festival of sorts because the food and wine festival had been so popular and so successful. Um, And then you got the the festival of holidays where they have that same market type of uh, fast eats. And yeah, I think this time because they knew that they could incorporate so many Disney characters and the addition of such characters as Raya, as uh, Moana, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and even Lilo and Stitch in some ways. Um, and also um, pulling from a lot of the Shanghai parks and the Hong Kong parks where Mickey and Minnie would have a special um, costume that they would wear. They would have performers, um, just many elements of Disney that they already had. I feel like mm-hmm. they transferred that over to the New Year, uh, Lunar New Year Festival. Okay, okay. Um, so in looking at last year uh, and this year, 
What were some of the big changes? You did mention more representation um, in general, but uh, even in the fact that it started off as more of just a food festival, does it now feel like more like really a Lunar New Year festival? Absolutely. I think, especially before, so the last time they had this is obviously pre-COVID. So there were a lot less restrictions that we had to abide by. Um, but because it was more of a food based focused festival you had the kiosks and stalls along the walkway in front of the little mermaid ride and all the way up to the back where they have um the restaurant and kind of where they have a plaza where they have a stage Mm -hmm. and some Mm -hmm. performances i remember that they had um they had a little area where you could write on a piece of paper and you could make your Lunar New Year wish for you and your family and you can hang it up, um, much like how they do in Asia. And then next to it, you could take pictures with Minnie and Mickey in their Lunar New Year attire. And then they also had uh, mini performances of um, Chinese dancers, uh, ribbon dancers, um, dancers that had tambourines, um, some acrobatics here and there. But that was basically it. This time around, they have Mulan's Lunar New Year procession. They don't call it a parade because they don't want people gathering like that. Um, Parades are still kind of not okay at the park right now. Um, But they have a really cute little procession. It's the Year of the Tiger. So they had Tigger leading the procession. Oh my god! And he was in such cute, like a cute outfit. Um, Everywhere is decked out in red. Like right when you get like through uh, the main part of California Adventure, there's like a huge arch. This is Lunar New Year. Um, But the procession happens, I think, once every hour um, Mm -hmm. from nine to nine, I think. Um, I could be wrong, but I know, I think as the sun goes down, it uh, they do their last show. But they have dragon dancers. Uh, they have Mulan and Mushu on a float um, with Chinese drummers. And okay, wait. Is Mushu a puppet or a, a character? Full-bodied character. <laughs> he is a, a person. <laughs> Just dancing along next to Mulan. Um, they have two sets of dancers in the back, and then they have... Um, I think that's it, actually. So it literally is a very small, small, small parade because they okay. do not want people gathering, waiting, just hanging out, like mass off eating. Um, so they try to meet in the middle uh, by having a procession um, and calling it that. And while they are doing the procession, there's a voiceover that talks about the Lunar New Year. So they inform a lot of people oh. that this is a celebration to um, ring in uh, new prosperity, um, mm-hmm. new beginnings, um, where the year of the tiger is coming from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's very short, informative, and really beautiful. Uh, so they had tiger. Uh, are there any other tiger characters? Um, I mean, aside from Raja? Yeah, that was the only other one. AJ was like, where is Raja? <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure people would kind of think a little bit, yes, here's Raja, but also where's Jasmine? Mm. Although she could celebrate Lunar New Year. I think a lot more questions would have been asked than answered if we saw Raja, albeit he is one of the most popular um, tiger characters in in the Disney world. Um, but I think Tigger was the one that they most uh, they most wanted to go with because he's just so bouncy and happy. And um, he was everywhere. Uh, there was like little Tigger. Um, you, you'd see like a little tiger in a cookie. 
um, mm-hmm. that they had. They had special items that were only for Lunar New Year. Um, I'm going to talk about that really quick because the food is always my favorite part of any Disney festival. Um, not only did they honor um, many Chinese traditions as having bao, um, which is like a dumpling. They also mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. lots of noodles, which um, symbolizes longevity and long life. Um, they had many, many drinks. They actually had boba in the park, which is I've never oh, seen boba in the park. What? But the line to that was insane. I mean, the outpouring of support and just excitement for Lunar New Year. You could just feel it there. Many people came in traditional Vietnamese wear. Many people came in traditional Chinese wear. Um, I didn't see a lot of people in Korean wear or traditional Korean wear. Um, but I think that a lot of uh, Asian Disney fans like really embrace just, you know, being at the parks, very similar to going to Dapper Day or going to, you know, um, Mermaid Day or Goth Day. Like it's their culture. It's, you know, something that they love and identify with. Um, But yeah, the lines were ridiculous for every single food stall. So I know we've mentioned this in the podcast before, but if you can do mobile ordering ahead, this would be one of those times to do it. Um, And that was really the only way I could get what I wanted to. Um, which was the Hong Kong style milk tea, um, mm. Vietnamese iced coffee, yes. and um, there was also a Korean bulgogi burrito <laughs> that oh. was super super good. And it came with Ariel. I don't know if you've had these before, but they're um, they're like shrimp chips, but they start off as little like discs, and then when you um, fry them, they blossom. Yes. So they had yes. that as the chips that came with the Korean bulgogi burrito, and oh, they clever. put like garlic oil on it, and it was like a game changer. Like I've been, I've been eating this stuff since I was small, but I just fry them and I just watch them bloom, and it's so cool. But adding the level of like garlic oil is just like in my thirty some odd years of life. <laughs> How did I not think of this? Yeah, how did I not think of this? But also thank you, Disney, for opening my eyes during during this Asian festival. (laughs) But yeah, the food is fantastic. And um, you can look online to see the different Lunar New Year uh, foods that they have available. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the festival is running for almost the whole month of February. Um, So it's kind of great that it started February 1st. So they started this weekend um, as we are coming up on the new month. And it'll go um, up until then. I'm curious, is it similar to the food festivals in that you get a punch card or is it more of you have options at stalls? Because I haven't been to a food festival since the pandemic and ordering ahead is not really an option in regards. So has that changed because of the pandemic? The short answer is yes and no. There are abilities because they want everything to be accessible, right? And that's really Mm -hmm. what Disney's all about. I think for the fans who are tech savvy, who kind of know what they're getting into, coming prepared, knowing that mm-hmm. they are going to be battling long lines and, um, you know, when they're going to be hungry. And we mentioned things like this uh, going back to the parks um, now that, you know, we're still in a pandemic. Um they have options for you to stand by in line and order, but they also mm-hmm. have the sip and savor pass, which is similar to what they had at the Festival of Holidays mm-hmm. and also the mm-hmm. Food and Wine Festival where you have like a badge and they have like six little tabs that you can pull off and redeem. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you also have the option of ordering ahead. So let's say you're in line at in a ride and you go, hey, I want to eat this, but um, I don't really want to stand in line and I want to kind of just use this time to maybe order ahead and like pick it up when I'm ready. You can always do that too. So there's okay. many different ways of doing it. Um, definitely if you want to reduce contact with people and standing in line because you're already standing in line to go on a ride, mm -hmm. um, the order ahead option is always best. Uh, and I think because food is such a central part of Lunar New Year, it was very hard to avoid eating in a crowded space because it was super busy. It was the first week of Lunar New Year. And also, I mean, that's what Lunar New Year is all about. Gathering with, you know, your friends, your family, other people and just eating like market style. So I would say depending on your level of comfort, I would, you know, choose the day that you would go on um, because you are going to be around a lot of people. And because Disney wants it to be accessible to everybody, um, you just kind of have to have that in the back of your mind. What would you say the most memorable part of the experience was? Oh, the most memorable? I think just the atmosphere. The atmosphere was very different this time. I don't know if it's because there has been an outpouring for the AAPI community because of a lot of the struggles and a lot of the things that we've been seeing, you know, mm -hmm. um, in uh, social media and everything against, you know, our elders and just uh, Asian American actors and actresses uh, bringing awareness to the community. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that and mixed with Disney's ability to reach out to a core member of their market, really. Um, I saw people who were not of Asian descent wearing the Lunar New Year jerseys, wearing the Lunar New Year ears. Um, they had the ones from Mulan. So many people were wearing like their favorite Asian Disney princess t-shirt. Um, okay. okay. Raya was, she is, makes an appearance as a character. You could take a picture with Raya and she is near the Grand Californian where they have like this obstacle course. It's right next to Grizzly River Run. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. think it's like the brother bear like kind of obstacle course. They turned that into Kumandra. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's awesome. And then they have lanterns and they make it look like um, uh, that part of, they make it look like that part of Kumandra. And um, she's there. So you see little girls in their Raya outfits. And, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. there are people of all uh, walks of life. And I think it was just really great to see that people are embracing Asian American characters. Um, Shang-Chi is still in his regular clothes, which I'm just like, can you guys just put him in his... <laughs> superhero outfit because he still looks like um, <laughs> I we saw him at Avengers Campus talking to Black Widow and um, Captain Marvel and we were like he looks the like the IT guy <laughs> what is happening here <laughs> when he was talking to them was it a skit it was like pre performance oh, okay, so they were okay. like it was like they were existing it was like that part where they're just existing in the world and they're like talking next to the Quinjet. And I'm like, <laughs> when, when are they going to make him change? <laughs> oh, poor IT guy. But yeah, the poor IT guy. But a um, lot of people wearing Shang-Chi shirts and uh, just the outpouring of like the interest for Asian culture, Asian food, the line to the boba. Like, I I think that was just really heartwarming for me because okay. you okay. you saw yourself fully represented in Disney culture, whereas, you know, traditionally it was, you know, not like that. So I mm -hmm. think that was the biggest thing for me, taking a step back and just watching it all happen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Did you get a chance to try the boba? I didn't because the line was so long. (laughs) I didn't, which is why I I was like, I just want to get the milk tea because Mm -hmm. I really love milk tea and I like it a certain way. I don't like it too sweet and I don't like Mm it um, too sugary. So I was like, okay, if every time I get boba, I ask for 25% or less sweet. Like just, I just need a hint of it. For our audience members who maybe don't know what boba Mm -hmm. is. (laughs) Yes. So boba is very similar to tapioca pearls. If you eat it, it's very much gelatinous. Um, So it it starts off as, you know, like a really hard tapioca bubble and then you boil it and it kind of opens up and becomes this like jelly ball. Um, Many people refer to it as bubble tea in some parts of the country. Uh, We refer to it here in Southern California and I think mainly on the West Coast as boba. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can always be referred to as like popping pearls or pearls, things like that. And then you you drink it with a bigger straw so that you can get the boba inside. So um, it could be interchangeable with like lychee jelly or coffee jelly, uh, grass jelly, things like that. Uh, it's in, in milk teas or, or non-milk teas. We put it even in smoothies. We put it in slushies. Yeah, smoothies, slushies, anything really. It's just basically like an add-on inside a drink. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to try it because if you could visualize if anybody's ever been to that back area of California Adventure, there's a restaurant there. And the line stretch all the way to almost inside out at Pixar Pier. Oh, wow. That's a long line. <laughs> a very, very long line. <laughs> so I didn't get it. I was like, I just want milk tea. And it was like, oh, man, Disney, you did it again. Like, you nailed it. I could taste the black tea. I could taste the milk. I could. I, I didn't want to put it down. I almost drank it all in one go, which was not good. <laughs> and um, I got a really cool bamboo Mulan sipper with it. Oh. Yeah. So what they do now is when you order like order a special popcorn bucket mm-hmm. or a special sipper, they don't put the drink in there anymore for you. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. separate them so that you can have it pristine. Yes. Um in case you want to sell it again. Or <laughs> if you want to display it and not have it tainted. So um that's really cool because I already have the Moana sipper, bamboo sipper. Mm-hmm. Now I have the Mulan one. So maybe they'll have a Raya one one day. That would be really cool. Yes, complete the yeah. collection. Yeah, <laughs> of Asian American characters on bamboo sippers. <laughs> need Lilo and Nani. <laughs> Lilo, I know. Oh, that'd be so cool. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was really great, and I hope that it continues to grow. I hope that it continues to um, bring awareness to multicultural characters in Disney, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool. Your favorite character is Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. And you mentioned mm-hmm. they were there. Were they in a procession or did you actually get to like to engage and take a picture with them? Because the last time you mentioned your experience at Disney, it was at Marius Nights. And you didn't get to take a picture with Lilo and Stitch because of the line. <laughs> um, they were more represented in uh, merchandise. They were not there, oh, actually. Okay. I th- feel that because uh, we have Adventureland at Disneyland and this was at mm-hmm. California Adventure, they're mm-hmm. more represented over there um, than here. So I feel like because they did Marius Nights with uh, Hawaiian Merry Christmas, they uh, probably decided to skip this one. And I know they're very limited into which characters they decide to bring out because they don't want people gathering too much. <laughs> um so I did not see them, but it was really nice to see Mulan and Mushu because I don't see them very often either. Mm-hmm, 
they had um, an infographic in front of the Lunar New Year um, area where they would um, describe the different ways that Koreans, Chinese people, and also uh, Vietnamese people celebrate Lunar New Year. I think that that was beautifully represented because everybody kind of thinks, oh, Lunar New Year, it's only, you know, people who come from China. But it really isn't. Um, and I know that uh, a couple of things about um China and celebrating New Year's Eve. Um, in northern China, they um, traditionally like eating food uh, that's made of flour, like bao, like I mentioned earlier, pancakes, noodles, and dumplings, especially. Um, families often make these dishes from scratch. Everybody makes their dumplings together. They make um, mm -hmm. everything as a family. Um, kids typically search for a lucky coin inside the dumplings. Please do not eat this coin. Have. <laughs> I've known of people who've eaten these, and it's just not fun. Um, the tumblings are usually served with fish as it symbolizes abundance. Oh my gosh, I totally, this reminds me, they served a whole fried fish at that oh. restaurant back then. And they specifically say good for two people. Uh, the amount of aunties and uncles that I saw just like going in on this fish, like <laughs> I felt like I was in Chinatown. It was so yes, awesome. Yes. And had I known that there was a whole fried fish, I would have saved all my trips for that one. Oh, no. But. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that again is really good representation because yeah. I know, I know growing up, um, because I, I grew up with more my white side of the family, the idea of a fish looking like a fish when you eat it was like f so foreign and, and essentially <laughs> like a little, uh, you know, a little bit of xenophobia, really mm -hmm. like, ew, gross, that's, that's nasty, trying to like really make it sound like this bad thing. And it's like, it's fried fish. The difference is mine looks like a fish and yours is a stick. <laughs> Not in stick form. <laughs> it's true. And I think the fact that frying a whole fish symbolizes that you're doing well um mm -hmm. that's not always the case usually if you are frying fish they're very small and they you know you just sprinkle them on top of your rice to fry a, a huge fish like that like a soul fish or even mm -hmm. a flounder or something like that that symbolizes a special occasion and i think that's um disney really recognizing that and um being able to share that with your family and friends um kind of just goes along with the values of lunar new year um, so it was really awesome to see whole fried fish and they're like good for two but really if you're at Disneyland it could be good for four or five <laughs> um, yeah so they also talked about in Korea how Lunar New Year is one of the most important traditional holidays um, you are paying respect to your ancestors and elders which was represented in um, you creating those paper wishes you could also honor mm -hmm. your ancestors there too um, it looked almost like it could be a shrine in itself um, okay. Uh, everybody is bowing to each other, um, of course, especially deep um, when you're bowing to your elders, um, wearing traditional costumes like hanbok, and also um, receiving money, words of wisdom for the new year from your elders. Um, in Vietnam, and if many of you don't know, Anaheim is situated right next to Fountain Valley and mm -hmm. Garden Grove, mm -hmm. which has a huge Vietnamese population. Like, huge it could be you know little saigon is what they call many parts of that area <laughs> yes. um they celebrate tet and they is it's also celebrated with family food um they had many versions of banh mi there which is the traditional vietnamese sandwich with um mm -hmm. a french baguette because of its um influences from the french um <laughs> over the years in history um 
Sticky rice cakes uh, are made and served, and everybody, like in other Asian cultures, they go to the temple to pray for good luck, health, mm-hmm. and fortune. That's a um, way that Lunar New Year is celebrated, essentially in China and Korea and Vietnam. But mm-hmm. those aren't the only um, uh, East Asian and Southeast Asian uh, countries that celebrate uh, Lunar New Year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely have Singapore. Seventy-five um, percent uh, of the population uh, is actually Chinese, and so the largest Chinese New Year festival is actually held in Singapore. They move it around mm-hmm. um, in different locations, and just like uh, Steph mentioned, the red envelopes, which uh, usually have money in them, um, they usually have the uh, phrase "fu," which means good luck. Um, and it's customary to also pay respect to Buddha at the temple and um, lighting incense. Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, uh, Crazy Rich Asians was in Singapore and we saw a lot of that awesome stuff in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then um, in Malaysia, the Lunar New Year is seen as welcoming of spring and a chance for families to come together for an annual reunion dinner. So Um, Instead of going out to a festival, you're sort of staying in. Um, And they celebrate the holiday for 15 days. Um, They have a salad dish uh, known as yisung um, and that they serve at every table. And that represents good luck and prosperity. And some of the the traditional outfits they wear are chongsam, which are uh, red. And um, uh, if you are celebrating your zodiac year, so if the, so if you are the year of the tiger, you need to be wearing gold that year um, mm. to attract abundance. And then um, in Taiwan, um, most people go home, uh, similar to Malaysia, to celebrate New Year with their families. They, of course, have dumplings themselves, Nian Gao, um, which is the most popular one. And then it's closely followed by pineapple, always of serving pineapple. Always. Um, <laughs> and then, again, an exchange of red envelopes. Um, and, of course, neighborhoods set off fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph, you want to illuminate us to the sort of like final country that uh, we have learned can celebrate Lunar New Year? Definitely. In the Philippines, they do also celebrate Lunar New Year, albeit it kind of, as Filipinos love to drag on their holidays, like how (laughs) September marks the start of the holiday season in the Philippines, they do like to drag on uh, New Year. Um, And this is mainly because there's so many people in the Philippines who come from other countries. descent so there's a lot of Chinese Filipinos and there's also a lot of you can even see like Vietnamese Filipinos Korean Filipinos Um, so all of those different practices come into play for people who are living in the Philippines and because it's uh, such a trade-based country there's also Mm -hmm. people who come from China Korea Malaysia everywhere really in Southeast Asia living in the Philippines so they do celebrate um, Lunar New Year as well as uh, regular New Year Um, Mm -hmm. and many of those uh, traditions kind of cross over. So um, for instance, when the clock strikes midnight in the Philippines, kids will jump really, really high to signify that you're going to grow taller. Um, <laughs> clearly, I did not jump high enough because that did not happen to me, um, even though I tried my best to jump. Same. Um, <laughs> Same. But anyway, um, it's just one of those superstitions that you could do either in regular, you know, our Solstice New Year or Lunar New Year. The most traditional celebration of the Lunar New Year or regular New Year is Medianoche, which is where Filipino families come together for midnight to eat and also uh, celebrate a year of prosperity. This is normally when we open up our gifts. Mm -hmm. So if you got a gift for Lunar New Year, if you got your red envelope, you would open it then uh, while you're eating. Um, The table is usually full of round-shaped fruits. Um, You always have to have a bowl of your oranges, your melons, your papayas, Mm -hmm. um, 
even limes and lemons, anything that is round and shaped avocados, if you live in America, <laughs> here in California, um, as long as it's round, it uh, represents good fortune. Um, this tradition originated from China as well. Um, the food that's typically eaten during Lunar New Year in the Philippines includes sticky rice dishes such as biko, bibinka, and nyangao. Um, but anything that's sweet, you'll probably see it on your table. Um, one of the most unique superstitions of the Lunar New Year in the Philippines is choosing to wear polka dots mm -hmm. as the round shape represents prosperity, money, and good fortune. You'll also see it in the regular New Year with a lot of aunties just wearing yeah. all the polka dots that they could possibly find and hats, <laughs> scarves, socks, um, two-piece suit that they would wear. Um, and if they do go to the temple, if they go to church the next day, they will continue to wear those um, spots and polka dots so that they can continue to having that good luck for uh, wealth and good fortune. Obviously, we're of Filipino descent, so uh, some of these things are things that we just kind of are aware of from having a diverse friend group um, uh -huh. and interacting with individuals who have... Um, uh, various traditions and what their traditions look like. And then there's a difference between being um, uh, essentially Asian American, Pacific Islander American, and then actually coming um, uh, from the country and, and migrating over here because the traditions are different in regards to accessibility of certain mm -hmm. things. Um, just like Steph said, like we might do avocados because that is essentially round mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's what's accessible out here. Mm -hmm. um, if uh, uh, technically, February might still be, at least in the Midwest, some winter. So access to like oranges might not be mm -hmm. as easily accessible. The other thing is that, uh, and this was something that Steph and I were talking about before the podcast, was um, uh, some of the ways, at least in the Philippines, that traditions are being celebrated kind of also have to do with how you identify your heritage and the connection you have in closeness to the Chinese community. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I know that um, for myself, having an extended family of, you know, Filipinos, um, there's many of us who have um, backgrounds that come from different parts of Asia. So, for example, I have a couple family members who are extended parts of my family who have Chinese heritage. And that means their last names are not of Spanish descent like mine mm -hmm. is my last name is Bautista and some of their last names are you know Go or Kim mm -hmm. or Lim is a big one um, also if you're looking at uh, the ways that these families decide to uh, pick their profession is very much based on whether you are of other descent or if you are purely Filipino I know that in the Philippines we all look very very different because of the years of mass colonization yeah mass colonization um, throughout hundreds of years of the Philippines it was only really recently that we gained independence um, so you have families that came into power because they had Chinese descent or mm -hmm. because they had Korean descent or because mm -hmm. they had Japanese descent in them um, so for many of my family members who are of Chinese descent, um, they almost view as themselves as a little bit in a different class than a lot of mm -hmm. other Filipinos. Um, my personal experience traveling to the Philippines, I realized that wealth and power are associated with those who identify with having Chinese Filipino background. Um, if you just look at people who are in uh, the Philippine cabinet and people mm -hmm. who are have political power, many of them have Chinese last names. And that, you know, has a lot to do with the trade that happens there that has to do with a lot of job opportunities, um, people who are business 
people who are doing trade with the ne- neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. It's just always kind of been an unspoken truth that if you have Chinese descent, you are most likely to be in a position of power. And that also has to correlate with your skin tone. People who have Chinese descent are naturally lighter in skin tone, as opposed to those who are coming from the Moro regions or of Spanish um Spanish descent also, uh, but if you're like Morena, which is a little bit darker in skin tone, you might not be looked at as, you know, ideally aesthetically pleasing or beautiful because you are of darker skin tone. Now, it's 2022. I know a lot of these stereotypes have been, you know, broken by, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of Filipinos who have been coming into the mainstream world. Um, people such as even Miss universe Pia Wurzbach who is of German Filipino descent Um, she is a little bit darker in complexion than some of the other beauty queens that we've had in the past Mm -hmm. and she completely embraces her darker skin and you know people around her who have darker skin Um, but it's you know it goes without saying that a lot of stigma when it comes to um, just viewing yourself and your position in the world because of your skin tone, your last name and uh, your family status is still very prevalent in the Philippines and in Asian countries. So although Lunar New Year is seen as, you know, a, a celebration for prosperity and wealth, mm-hmm. we must mm-hmm. also remember that that is not equal for everybody who is celebrating And for those who aren't aware what Steph is describing, she's describing colorism. Colorism is a practice of favoring lighter skin over darker skin. It's essentially a prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone and occurs typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. There are social implications that come with the cultural meaning attached to skin color uh, that end up favoring or oppressing someone within that culture. I think that it's important to highlight this because um, a tenant of being a clinician, of being a therapist, is to get continuing educations and one of them being what we call cultural awareness. Um, In in this case, I say cultural humility. Um, Essentially, cultural humility is defined as a lifelong process of self-reflection and self-critique, whereby someone um, not only learns about another's culture, but starts with an examination of their own beliefs and cultural identities. Uh, And oftentimes what happens when you are working with diverse populations is you only know about these surface things. You don't know about the intricacies of um, identity. Steph really touched on sort of like the Filipino experience. And I know um, I have uh, friends and clients who are Taiwanese and uh, their experience in regards to having Chinese descent is very thwart in um, some people vehemently identify themselves as Chinese and some people vehemently dis- um, identify themselves Taiwanese. And that uh, cultural aspect and essentially um, a lot of political war um, uh, going on uh, goes all the way back to even um, as high as the Olympics. The Olympics, Taiwan is, is called the Chinese Taipei. That's that at that is their identifier. They don't get to go in as Taiwan because the Republic of um, China, though they fled to Taiwan and established essentially a Chinese culture, um, uh, China considers Taiwan part of China. And so, um, though Taiwan runs very much like its own country, I've had uh, experiences, or not personally, but I've had friends whose experience will say that um, when they want to visit home, uh, they have to have a Chinese passport. 
Um, and if they write on um, paperwork that they are Taiwanese, um, they've had people cross it out and write Chinese. Um, and those are experiences you aren't going to know about if you don't actually take the time to have cultural humility and learn about someone's experience. There's something that I, I do with my clients when it comes to creating more social awareness that I talk about the difference between um, uh, understanding something and accepting something. So many clients will say that, um, oh, I understand that. It's like, okay, so you're saying that you comprehend it, but you when you accept something fully, when you accept someone's full lived experience fully, you're also saying you believe it. And there are a lot of times when we are trying to uh, create a connection with someone that it's very different than our own, we'll say, yeah, that makes sense, I understand, but. So it's not that we... It, we don't understand. It's not that we don't comprehend. We use our critical thinking. It makes sense. But we've now are saying just because it makes sense doesn't mean I think it's true. Basically that I understand, but I don't accept. Or in another way of putting it, I comprehend, but I don't believe. And I think that's definitely something that not many people take the second to pause and think about. Because mm -hmm. they're they're very much into how they are responding as themselves, but also how they are looking from the outside and seeing like how they are responding because they don't mm -hmm. want to seem insensitive, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to seem like they are not making an effort to understand, but there are many layers and depth to that understanding. Um, something that I thought about while you were uh, explaining was as a Filipino American who has been born here, I didn't realize those intricacies until I took myself out of my Filipino-American self and mm -hmm. placed myself as a Filipino in the Philippines. And that is a whole nother level of depth and understanding of my heritage, what my identity is, mm -hmm. because I'm in a different setting. And I think that's true for a lot of second generation um, Asian American Pacific Islanders, is that not only are we grappling with ourselves as AAPI members in the American community, but who are we when we go back to our homelands mm -hmm. um, where our true heritage lies? Is it, are we one way or another? And I think that's where a lot of struggles happen and a lot of self-realization can occur if we take mm -hmm. the time to um, be graceful to ourselves about it, mm -hmm. but also have that humility that you mentioned. In regards to Disney and diversity and representation. I'm curious, Steph, do you think that there should be more representation that is based in reality or more representation that is an amalgam of or diverse like Raya? So so like thinking of like Raya and Mulan, which do you think has essentially more weight and representation or should we do more both? I mean, that's that's a multi-layered question, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we have spoken offline about how we felt about Raya and how mm -hmm. we felt, you know, having Mulan as somebody who we grew up with. Mm -hmm. I think for me, speaking for myself, Mulan, because it was rooted in actual Chinese tradition, it took place in China. We knew where she was. They were fighting the, the Huns. Mm -hmm. These were people who are rooted in history that we are seeing come to life through Disney story. And of course, it was based on an actual legend of mm -hmm. Fa Mulan. 
Raya, on the other hand, was a fictional country that pulled from many Southeast Asian countries, but it was never specified it was、mm-hmm. one or the other. It was Kumandra, which is a fictional country.、Uh, Fang, Talon, all of those places <laughs> named from a, a dragon looking you know, area, which could. Represent itself from you know the rivers that flow through Thai,、uh, through Thailand, through Vietnam,、mm-hmm. the rivers that flow through the Philippines, because everything is so disjointed. I feel like it's hard to encapsulate all of that.、Mm-hmm. That Southeast Asian experience, which really it goes from India all the way to the Philippines and really beyond.、Um, mm-hmm. You could even count parts of Micronesia. I know, you know, Guam.、Uh, Looking at Moana and how those themes were rooted in、um, Maori culture, which is way down south, and that、mm-hmm. is is another entirely deep and beautiful culture that you know you are spanning over huge parts of the world here.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think a little bit of both is needed because yes, you want people to be introduced. To these countries,、um, but also you want them to realize that they exist to this day and they have、mm-hmm. rich histories and cultures that we can reinterpret.、Um, I don't know if you heard of the movie coming out called Turning Red. Yes, with、yeah. the red panda.、Mm-hmm. The red panda. And the red panda, she is Asian American、mm-hmm. living in America. Yeah, and I, I think San Francisco, because it's all in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> yes. And really, I mean, the only San Francisco Bay Area Asian type of representation is. What we got was Big Hero 6. Yeah, <laughs> Baymax. That was San Fran Tokyo. So it wasn't even <laughs>、oh, San Francisco. No, San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco. There you go. Yeah. So it wasn't either. It was, again, a fictional <laughs> mishmash of <laughs> places. But I mean, I think that representation is completely needed because you're going to have little girls who are growing up now who are third generation, who are、mm. living their Asian American truth. As third generation and their parents are Asian American, it's.、Mm-hmm. I feel like、mm-hmm. as we go on through time and how、um, people of our generation are creating these movies, they're our age now, so they want to see things that their kids will enjoy and identify with, and all of those levels. I there's just so much more than we could ever have thought of.、Um, When it comes to that, I like looking at it from the lens of here's what a traditional experience might look like for this one culture.、Um, but also, here is what an experience might look like for someone who has multiple cultures or is essentially a, a mix.、Um, especially if I think of like my own experience as someone who has, has mixed culture,、um, it, it really is hard for me to pinpoint something being essentially one thing.、Um, and then even having that one culture be a culture that has been colonized so much that we have adopted a lot of things as our own.、Um, and if I think of some of my family members who might be identified essentially more as indigenous Filipinos,、um, how it looks nothing like what I've seen as considered traditional Filipino traditions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I couldn't even tell you if I asked my nieces or nephews in the Philippines, like, who, who do they see in themselves? A, they're all speaking English. So, I mean,、mm-hmm. there's that. They are not speaking Tagalog or Ilocano or Visaya or their own,、um, their own native tongue unless it's translated into that.、Um, I think the addition of 
Ned's Lola in Spider-Man, <laughs> yes! she was not speaking Tagalog. She was speaking another dialect. She was speaking Ilocano, mm. which is one like the second biggest dialect spoken in the Philippines. But those are people who do not live in Manila. They live in Cebu. They live in the other major large islands. But when you think of the Philippines, you really only think of the mainland, <laughs> Manila, um, mm-hmm. the main the main island, as I should say. So I think just those little instances of yes, you exist. All of that is important. And I think even though some people had things to say about Raya being, is she Filipino? Is she not Filipino? Mm-hmm. I think her existence itself as a very powerful, brown, long haired, mm-hmm. just, you know, amazing all around badass of a woman. Mm-hmm. I think that was enough. I, I think that reach in itself was important. I think this also brings up the... Um notion when it comes to AAPI awareness um, <clears throat> and something my my clients um, struggle with with any form of awareness or, or social justice is they experience something that um, is kind of identified as moral anxiety. Uh, moral anxiety is an emotion we feel in the face of a difficult moral decision. We want to do something right or just or good, uh, but we're just not really sure how we're supposed to do that. Um, then oftentimes uncertainty prompts us to investigate and uh, we find um, options available to us. We uh, consider reasons for or against an action and we make a decision. So moral anxiety has a function that's twofold. It uh, essentially signals us to let us know that we're facing a difficult moral decision and it motivates us to uh, actually have gather information and make a decision. The struggle some of my clients face is they face something called analysis paralysis. A lot of my clients have uh, anxiety disorders. A lot of my clients have um, are neurodivergent. And so their um, uh, brain wants to essentially overthink a problem. Analysis paralysis occurs when we're unable to make a decision um, and we're essentially ruminating or what's known as like spinning the thoughts over and over. Or maybe it's either the same thought or stream of thoughts. Um, and it, it feels almost like a whirlwind going in your head or um, or like falling down a rabbit hole. And that fear impedes us from doing an action because we can't figure out which action is the most appropriate or the maybe the most superior solution to a problem. I think that that is something that has happened a lot for even the general populace in supporting the AAPI community because the idea of what supporting the community looks like is very different from someone who's within the community and someone who's outside of the community. Um, and so I, I think about uh, ways that I teach my clients to like resolve analysis paralysis. Um, something that we definitely talk about is executive functioning. Making a de- decision is using your prefrontal cortex, your front brain, because um, you have to plan, you have to reason, you have to execute. Uh, some individuals have executive functioning struggles. Um, so something that I, I talk about with my clients who want to create more action, whose morals tell them that they need to support the community, but they don't know how. I talk about ways to remove the executive functioning struggle, ways to remove um, how to activate yourself. So a lot of them think like, oh, I'm only supporting the community if I'm the person at the podium, like essentially leading the chant, if I'm the leader. And a lot of times what we need is people to join an organization or a community and do established tasks that you don't have to think about, but we just need you to do them. Um, A common one that my clients have found very rewarding would be just like sending emails to senators or um, uh, bill makers um, that 
the script's already made for them, so they don't have to come up with what they need to say. Um, they, they just need to take the time out of their day to do it. That feels like moral action that is necessary. It actually is necessary, so it's not just a feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a, a way to move the organization forward. And it removes the stigma of trying to come up with something from the ground up. Yeah, for sure. I think when we bring that down to the level of a child, they see these things happening and they go, well, how am I supposed to change it? I'm just a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they see themselves wanting to help, but they also see themselves limited. And it's, I feel like I'm very mild uh, version of analysis paralysis <laughs> because they're just like at a loss. Like, how mm-hmm. how do I help? How How do I make a difference just being one kid in the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth grade? And really, we tell our kids at our school, it just starts with, being an upstander to your friends. If your friend is eating their hot bowl of rice and soup and it doesn't look like a peanut butter sandwich, it's normal. Don't call them out Mm -hmm. on it. Don't make a Mm -hmm. comment on it. Just say, hey, that looks good. Um, What is it called? Ask questions about it. That is the best thing that you can possibly do when you are at a loss for any information. You could just ask about it because I don't think there is any world where if you ask, what are you eating? People will be like, I don't want to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's usually, oh my God, this is so good. It's blah, blah, blah. My mom made it or I got it from this place. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think just those little things, um, why you why you do certain things why when you go over to a friend's house why do you take off your shoes before you go in um Mm -hmm. not saying oh that's weird or ew what is that those things are hurtful and you know for kids being themselves they don't want to be conscious about how they're doing things because it's been something that they've been doing for years or you know they see people that they love doing those things like eating stinky tofu or eating you know um rice and sour soup these are things that are embedded in their identity and their culture and they don't want to second guess themselves about it um another thing that we tell our kids is to um support small asian businesses if you are hungry maybe instead of going to mcdonald's go to you know a local chinese bakery or a local filipino bakery or or jollibee or jollibee (laughs) it's fast food (laughs) even though jollibee now owns coffee bean which is so bizarre to me now um (laughs) whatever but get that get that prosperity y'all like whatever (laughs) i think just knowing that there are businesses that you know aren't the big four or the big three mm-hmm. um wanting to go to an asian market and mm-hmm. play with the crabs there that's totally normal yeah. um like those small things that are embedded into our everyday lives i i think if we if we give a little bit of love and mm-hmm. um curiosity mm-hmm. to them um it'll tell kids of you know younger generations that it's okay to accept something that's different and Mm -hmm. because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. And going back to like even the executive functioning um, uh, and, and moral anxiety analysis process, a lot of people will say, well, like, isn't it rude for me to even ask? And this goes into really understanding the difference between asking a question with curiosity and questioning someone. Yes. yes. When you're questioning someone, it always feels like you're being interrogated and you have yes. to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. So why are you eating that? Yeah. Does not sound curious. It doesn't sound inviting. Even though there's a why in the question, it the tonal presentation implies mm-hmm. that they have to justify their food choice versus saying, um, what are you eating? And learning about that, usually that'll come with the why. 
that mm-hmm. that'll be oh i'm eating this it's my favorite food that's all you need to know that's the only why you need to know or i'm eating yeah. this because it's lunar new year and i i want some good luck in my day mm-hmm. right? yeah i know for um a lot of the teachers assistants and um people who help out during lunchtime i think if we've always told them hey if you see a kid eating something that's different like shout them out be like hey you know that looks really good what is that does your mom make that for you like that looks Mm -hmm. so good and appetizing like i want to try that one day where can i find that just kind of lifting them up in Mm -hmm. the small things that they have or you know hey Mm -hmm. that lunchbox is super cute like where did Mm -hmm. you get that Mm -hmm. um just praising them for you know their small things that make up their identity, I think is huge. Um, And also diversifying your library for any educators out there. That is the best thing you could possibly do to represent your kids, no matter if they're AAPI descent, they're Mm -hmm. African American, Mm -hmm. if they're, you know, of mixed race, the more you can diversify your library, the better you can, you know, reach out to your students without you having to do the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Because if they see themselves represented in a book, if they see themselves, you know, represented in pictures and writing, um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a profound history lesson. It could just be like, hey, that kid looks like me. There is an author out there. There's an illustrator out there that took the time to create this character Mm -hmm. that looks like me. I think that's cool. And because I see myself represented, therefore I exist in this world and I am not erased. And I think that's uh, the one of the biggest struggles of the AAPI community is the feeling of erasure and mm-hmm. that, you know, we exist simply to be in the background, simply to be um, the model minority, just to kind of blend in uh, with the crowd and, you know, just be thankful uh, for your life here in America, which is very important. However, that doesn't mean that you are taking up space in this world, in this community. And really looking at the media we're engaging in, in regards to Asian-created media, um, were the creators actually AAPI or not? Um, And even with the model minority myth, that has led to a a trope of um, the Asian best friend. as much as I love Disney media, even up into Spider-Man, uh, his best friend is his Asian hype boy. Who was behind the computer, a.k.a. the IT guy. <laughs> the IT guy, yes. Yes, literally calls himself the guy in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, really accentuating that that's a good thing. And no, it is not a bad thing. But when it becomes the fact that you engage in media and that's all you see of Asian representation, that starts to distort your belief system and thinking. And I know in regards to um, mental health and wellness, when you don't see a certain culture that you think struggles, you don't provide them the support and aid that they need. And when it comes to the way that um, Asians are represented in the media, it's you're the smart one, you can figure it out, you have high uh, prestige, you probably are a doctor, you probably are an engineer, you have all these things, quote unquote, going for you, that there shouldn't be a reason for you to be, quote unquote, struggling. And that makes it uh, a real, it feeds into a bias that we start to um, internalize and when it comes to actually uh, taking on media where we start to see that um, this community has just as much struggles if not more unique struggles or different struggles than me that makes it easier to get access and multi-layered structures str- I mean struggles that you know can stem from socioeconomic status to mm-hmm. um, location to position to a self-identity is a huge one um, that we, especially as second generation Asian Americans, struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. Just because you're not seeing these struggles doesn't mean they are 
not happening mm-hmm. um because yes there are struggles that you know other cultures go through which you know we we do want to take care to highlight and be aware of it but diminishing another culture's struggles is you know something that i feel like we are slowly as a society moving away from which is mm-hmm. great um but at the same time i think on a level where you know you are not consuming media like this um it really just has to be conscious in your everyday life that you know you you got to you got to open your eyes a little bit more <laughs> mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. who you're around and um just kind of take a step back because i know there's a bigger conversation when it comes to workplace and mm-hmm. um diversifying the workplace diversifying i mean even people who i know who work for disney i've yes. been seeing many more opportunities given to asian americans um netflix has a whole instagram dedicated to southeast asian americans <laughs> called netflix golden which popped up on my feed i think just a couple days ago and i was like Whoa, wait, what? <laughs> like this is and I feel like everybody can kind of relate when they go this is weird but I don't hate it. <laughs> mhm. It's it's like that pause of like I was not expecting this and I I I need to reconcile what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> yeah, I think they had a post and I think it was a bunch of Netflix characters with their shoes on the bed. They were just hanging out with their shoes inside and then it said like the awkward pause when you're trying to Netflix binge but you notice all the shoes inside the house. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have noticed that. That's true. Yeah. I, I mean, it it was like a scene from Stranger Things. It was like Never Have I Ever and a, a bunch of other like super popular Netflix series and I was like, LOL in my head. This is kind of funny cuz yeah, these are things that like we would notice. Mm-hmm. Like why why would they be doing that? That's that's not right or, you know, those just the lens of specifically a southeast asian american watching netflix shows i think is so bizarre but i'm here <laughs> for it when it comes to um you know supporting the aapi community and l- allowing your morals and values to move you forward um you know there's definitely uh engaging in asian owned restaurants um engaging in asian created media um the other thing is really attending a lot of asian festivals uh just like because lunar new year is happening the first but it's essentially going to go on all month depending on the culture there will be festivals um take the time to go to them they are outdoor right you can still wear your mask and you social distance but um sitting and immersing yourself in um the cultural experience uh is very different than sort of hearing about it take the time to embrace every aspect of it because i've noticed over the years attending some of these uh markets and festivals of course many people go for the food because mm-hmm. everybody can identify and connect with each other over food and but, our food is banging and our food is yeah and that's how a lot of you know social media posts happen because you know people are foodies and that's how they get their mm-hmm. exposure but take the time to watch the performances and the dances and maybe mm-hmm. even like a martial arts demonstration or mm-hmm. you know those types of things give you a different perspective on culture and dance and performance is such a different way of expressing your culture that i think is so unique and many people tend to forego because you have to stop and take the time to visualize and mm-hmm. kind of soak mm-hmm. it in. Um so I would challenge everyone to just like look at the traditional dancing. Like what does it 
tell you? Like, what stories do you pull from it? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like a lot of people, oh, you know, like I, I love noodles and dumplings and I love din tai fung. And yet they <laughs> don't remember that there's so many other aspects to, you know, um, embracing that culture. Mm-hmm. And I think just mm-hmm. stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit maybe could be very rewarding. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of... um on the surface experience and really trying to go in deeper. Um, okay, so I watch this YouTube channel called Sorted. It is these four British guys who are best friends that uh, one of them was a chef, taught them how to cook. They branched out since that brand. Um, and they had a good old Uncle Roger. <laughs> oh, my boy, Uncle Roger. <laughs> yes. uh, a guest starring in a competition they were making in regards to um, essentially like a fish soup. And uh, one of the um, uh, contestants put all kinds of seafood in his soup. And uh, Uncle Roger said, that looks like it'd be good. No one would buy that. That is too expensive. That is not street food. And all, hearing that, you could see like the look on his face of, it. that never occurred to me. Because all the ways that he had the soup was essentially in a way that was more high end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the main thing about Asian markets is that the food is close to dirt cheap. (laughs) And that's what's fantastic about it, because then you could experience all the stalls. They're really not supposed to be like, and I know 626 Night Market is fantastic, but it will run your wallet a little bit if you're Mm -hmm. not careful. I know everybody's trying to make a living out here and, you know, Food prices have gone up, especially since uh, the pandemic happened. Yes. Um, But at the same time, if you are looking at it from the perspective of accessibility, Mm -hmm. um, night market food is supposed to be meant to be affordable. And Mm -hmm. I totally understand that, you know, he's right. No one would buy that. They will go to another spot and get the same exact thing for less because Mm -hmm. um, traditionally um, it is seen as... uh, regarding to be frugal and not wasteful with your money because that is how you achieve prosperity and wealth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and even um uh, like other examples i i I know a lot of friends are like well i go to korean barbecue it's like yes but korean barbecue is not the like traditional regular meal like we aren't sitting down and eating beef (laughs) every single that is that's Mm -hmm. that's for like you graduated and we need to celebrate Yes, absolutely. It's not just like a regular meal. I mean, you lived in Korea, Ariel. I've been to Korea. When I went, I wasn't trying to be like, where is the all you can eat spot? That's not a thing. It is an LA thing. It's a total American thing that and I think that's a whole nother another conversation of Americans and the history of America changing Asian traditional foods to suit their palate and to suit their understanding of it, their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many documentaries around about um, uh, General So Chicken. There is no General So. He does not exist. (laughs) It's Um, not real. Orange chicken. Orange chicken, not a thing. Uh, Maybe orange or maybe fried chicken with like mandarin peels. You could maybe find that. But if you go and ask for, can I get orange chicken with fried rice? You will most likely not get it. but yeah, like many of these things are just offshoots and tangents of, you know, interpretations of traditional Asian dishes. And yeah, like I think the all you can eat thing was like the biggest realization of that, especially living in Southern California, where 
it's a part of everyday life, but yes. also you really want to try not to mistake it for everyday Korean life. <laughs> so we've definitely talked about uh, ways to support the community. We've certainly talked about um, what we hope uh, Disney will add, change, or adapt. Um, and uh, we we talked about the festival that Disney had uh, because this podcast is about a new year. Um, I would like us to share our new year resolutions for this podcast. I'll have you go, Steph. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, for me, I am so thankful that we are still doing this podcast. We passed the the seven episode itch or what have you. Yes, yes, the curse. <laughs> the After curse. seven episodes, it never happens again. <laughs> I think that's a sign of prosperity. Yay. <laughs> um, but I I'm so thankful for this opportunity to even like talk about things like my identity and my heritage through mm -hmm. a Disney medium. I think that's so unique and awesome. I know there's many, many podcasts out there and I thank you all for choosing this one to Yay. spend your time with either on your drive, in the shower, whatever you want to do. We are here with you. Um, so I want to keep it consistent. Um, I think me and Ariel have found a really good groove on, mm -hmm. you know, doing this whole thing. And I think as we delve deeper and deeper and deeper into the layers of Disney, it's uh, different avenues of media there's just so much more to unpack and you know even though i think because we are coming to you with a a, a psychological lens a educational lens um there there are a lot of heavy things that we do think about and we do talk mm -hmm. about um but we also want to highlight that you know this is still the happiest pot on earth and yes. we want to make sure that we are keeping the happy in there so um i think finding that really good balance between the two um helps me individually and I, I hope it helps you all too so um more sponsorships and partnerships if you guys want to yeah. partner with us i would love to um <laughs> catch me at disneyland with a tripod next time <laughs> <laughs> and um i would love to incorporate more educational resources i think as a new wave of teachers are coming in those of you who are staying in the profession thank you it's hard we are struggling mm -hmm. every day and i see you i'm going through it um and i understand if you are somebody who used to work in education and just couldn't do anymore. I see you too. It, it's been a tough couple of years for us. Mm -hmm. So I think as you know, we get new people, um, we can work together and create more educational resources. Um, and hopefully Disney sees that. <laughs> that would be great. How about you, Ariel? Uh, my resolutions for the podcast is um, some regular shooting schedule, uh, <laughs> which is very difficult because our schedules are like not the same. Consistency. Um, <laughs> but uh, in regards to consistency, at least knowing that we've released I don't know, a podcast episode a month. Mm -hmm. At minimum, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> as, a, as a baseline, baseline, not minimum, yeah. the baseline. Yeah. Baseline, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to dive deeper into specific characters. We mentioned a few in each episode, um, but really diving deep into one, give, like highlighting mm. or celebrating and uh, essentially challenging one specific char character. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I want to increase um, connecting to the rest of the GT network. I'd like to have yeah. more of our fellow podcasters as guests on our channel here, seeing if we do some cross-pollinization, as yeah. it were. <laughs> 
Um, definitely sponsorships and partnerships or donations and fundings would be really cool. Um, I'd like us to present a panel and be panelists at a convention yes. when it comes to uh, specifically the, the clinical psychological lens. Say, same notes to as Steph, um, all you therapists, um, whether you're still doing it, whether you've stopped, whether you've pivoted and are doing something completely different. I, I see you. This is... Uh, huge burnout in regards mm. to, I would say 98% of the clinicians weren't doing telehealth, right? So mm-hmm. that was learning that process was a, a huge birch. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's so much burnout because everyone is struggling and we're wanting the, to be the ones holding the load. We're essentially yeah. Louisa. Uh, mm-hmm. Take a break. Take a break. Take a break. <laughs> the donkeys will handle it. <laughs> <laughs> the donkeys will handle it. Take a take a, a week break if you can, uh, two weeks preferably. I just really want to see us um, uh, being rejuvenated and not essentially being burnt out this mm-hmm. year. Um, and I'm hoping that this podcast will give new lens and insight that can rejuvenate the desire to um, utilize uh, essentially Disney in mental health, seeing how our way of, of helping our clients doesn't have to be, like Steph said, it doesn't have to be sad. It can be happy. It can mm-hmm. be exciting. It can be um, interesting. It can be curious. It can, it can have resolution and healing and not really always being like this long void of pain. Yeah. Thank you for the work you do, by the way. I no, mean, thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> we are both struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I think this brand new year, I feel like, is refreshing. Um, <laughs> even though we're like a year or three into this thing, um, mm-hmm. I, I have high hopes. And I think as long as we continue to be there for each other, continue to listen to each yes. other, and continue to have uh, grace and humility for one another, I think we can all come out of this. Uh, with a better understanding of each other um, Mm -hmm. so that we can live our lives and hopefully, even though it's probably not going to be the same normal we're used to, um, some sense of normality. (laughs) Yes, yes. So uh, in um, signing off, if uh, you are the year of the tiger, if you uh, want to let us know your traditions for Lunar New Year or how you celebrated um, the calendar New Year, uh, please please uh, tweet at us at happiestpodgt or DM us at happiestpodgt. If you, also you have suggestions for things you want us to talk about on uh, out of the podcast, please uh, holler at us, let us know. Um, we know there's been a lot of random Disney drama going on out there. <laughs> um, we don't be uh, sipping in the drama too much, but if you need us to spill the tea, we will spill the tea. We will spill it. <laughs> And through through a, a, a therapy and an education lens, <laughs> we will spill it. <laughs> it will still be spilled, but it will have a filter. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be contained it'll spillment. Be contained spillment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We will see you next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye.